In a stunning move, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ends his presidential bid just two days before the New Hampshire primary and endorses Donald Trump. We'll go live to our reporters on the campaign trail as we take a closer look at what went wrong for DeSantis. And we'll get into what it means now that the race with the Republican nomination is down to Nikki Haley and Donald Trump with my all-star panel, Brendan Buck, Adrian Elrod, and Cornell Belcher. I'm Jonathan Capehart. This is The Sunday Show. We begin this Sunday evening with breaking news that is shaking up the race for 2024. Just two days before New Hampshire's first in the nation presidential primary, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has ended his run for the White House and endorsed Donald Trump. After canceling two major media appearances this morning and an event in New Hampshire today, DeSantis announced his exit from the race in an online video. He praised Trump while admitting his own campaign had, quote, no clear path to victory. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. DeSantis has been polling in the single digits in New Hampshire with the latest survey of likely voters showing him trailing Trump by a staggering 49 points. Nikki Haley is now Trump's only rival for the GOP nomination. She'll take the stage in Exeter, New Hampshire, in the next hour. But here was her reaction to the DeSantis news. It's now one fella and one lady left. We've got two days until New Hampshire goes to the polls, and we're going to make sure that we fight all the way until the last second. In a statement, Trump said he's honored by DeSantis's endorsement. He also lashed out at Haley, saying she, quote, represents the views of Democrats. NBC's Dasha Burns joins me live from Manchester, New Hampshire. Well, Dasha, you've been covering Governor DeSantis. He was actively campaigning in South Carolina yesterday. So what changed in the last 24 hours? Yeah, Jonathan, we were preparing to go to that event at five o'clock here in New Hampshire as we started hearing word that something, you know, just wasn't quite right. Things weren't adding up. That canceled media appearance, the um, last minute pivot from South Carolina to New Hampshire. We were starting to ask questions and then uh, we were able to break that news that he was, in fact, planning to drop out. And moments later, he made that announcement and going out similar to the way he came in online on on X, that that platform. Um, I did just uh, speak with a campaign source who tells me that uh, there is nothing planned in terms of any rallies with former President Trump at this time. A lot of people have been asking after that endorsement, is he going to make his way up to New Hampshire? Uh, The source telling me not at this time. They decided to stay right now in Florida at home with the family. And this is a candidate who's made his family very much a part of this campaign 
the Florida's first lady, Casey DeSantis, was one of the more active spouses I've seen on the campaign trail, sometimes hosting her own events. Her kids were almost always in tow. They had their kids, their family, a front and center as part of this campaign. So this decision to step away, uh, certainly one that was uh, made as a family as they found themselves in this tough spot. Now, the fact that DeSantis ultimately endorsed former President Trump says so much, Jonathan, because over the course of the last year, those two were in a bitter battle. Former President Trump throwing punch after punch after punch at DeSantis, calling him disloyal, giving him nicknames, uh, calling him a wounded bird falling out of the sky. I mean, you name it. And DeSantis uh, saying over and over again that Trump expects people to kiss the ring and he is not going to do that. So for him to, at the end of all of this, uh, say that he is endorsing former President Trump just says so much about the state of the Republican Party right now. This was the guy, Jonathan, who was looked at as the most likely alternative to former President Trump, the person that could potentially beat him in the primary, that could be the next standard bearer of the Republican Party. And that hope for the GOP was shut down pretty quickly. From the beginning, the DeSantis campaign had issues, whether it was the glitchy launch, um, the struggle to message, the struggle to find his footing on how to handle former President Trump. He didn't feel like he could attack him, but he also couldn't address, uh, had to somehow address the attacks that were thrown at him. So he was always having to walk a very, very difficult fine line. And for all of the challenges, all of the flubs that may have been made um, on the part of the campaign and the organization around DeSantis. You know, a lot of sources I talked to said, ultimately, even if he had run a perfect campaign, it might not have mattered given the power of Trump and the fact that we're starting to see, it seems, that Republican primary voters, not talking about the general election, but when you're talking about the Republican primary, they might not want an alternative. And now we're in this position where we've looked at the polling data and the voters who support DeSantis, more of them are uh, in favor of former President Trump than Nikki Haley. So DeSantis dropping out before the New Hampshire primary has potentially created an additional obstacle for her as well, Jonathan. Dasha Burns, thank, coming to us from New Hampshire, thank you very much for that report. And with me now, an all-star panel, MSNBC political analyst Brendan Buck. He served as chief communications advisor to former House Speaker Paul Ryan and press secretary to former House Speaker John Boehner. And Democratic strategist Adrian Elrod. She's a former director of external affairs for the Commerce Department's CHIPS program and a former senior aide on the Biden-Harris 2020 campaign. Also with me, MSNBC political analyst Cornell Belcher. He is a pollster and Democratic strategist. Thank you all very much for coming in on a, on a early Sunday evening. I want to get all of you your, your reaction um, your thoughts on the, the, the ending of the DeSantis campaign. But I'm kind of I'm, I'm giggling right now because I want to see, I want you to watch how SNL spoofed DeSantis's loss in Iowa. This is before he dropped out of the race. Watch this. I want to congratulate Mr. DeSantis on a truly embarrassing showing. <laughs> He went to 99 counties, but bitch couldn't win one. <laughs> Brendan, you go first. Your, your, your reaction to Governor DeSantis leaving the race. Yeah, I mean, this, this has felt inevitable for a, a long time. 
Um, clearly ran a, a flawed campaign. This was somebody who wanted to run as Trump or Trump light, which is difficult to do when Trump himself is in the race. If you if you like what Trump is offering, you're probably just going to vote for him. And he never really understood that until somewhat late in the race. Um, but ultimately, I think this is less of a strategy and, and more of a candidate problem. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the idea, the governor of Florida that you've heard about, seemed much more attractive than the actual candidate we saw here. His his real high mark in this campaign was before he ever got in. Um, and the more that people got to see him and under and hear him, I think the less impressed they were. He was uh, not very charming on the on this on the stump um, and just didn't really wow anybody. And it just slowly leaked out. Um, not to mention outsourcing his entire campaign apparatus to a super PAC. Um, it never really added up. And I think everybody's known for a long time this was coming. And he just did it at a moment that probably solidifies that Donald Trump is going to win in New Hampshire and, and be the nominee. Adrian, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, Brent is exactly right. You know, Ron DeSantis was supposed to be the savior for the Republican Party, the alternative to Donald Trump. If you sort of liked MAGA policies, but you didn't want all of the divisive rhetoric that Donald Trump espouses, then then Ron DeSantis was your guy. It never really worked out that way, as Brendan very articulately put. He just never caught fire. A lot of it had to do with his personality. A lot of it had to do with the fact that I think a lot of people who didn't have experience working on campaigns were running his campaign. But Jonathan, I want to give you a really interesting statistic to just really demonstrate what a disaster this campaign was that my dear friend Doug Landry, longtime Democratic strategist, put out. And it is Ron DeSantis spent $150 million, and you combine his, combine his super PAC and his campaign, um, $150 million, and only got 23,420 votes. That adds up to $6,400 per vote. I mean, that is a staggering statistic that no campaign wants to have under their belt. Um, so it was doomed from the beginning, I guess. Um, and, you know, the last thing I'll say is I think it's pretty spineless that he is supporting Donald Trump after all of the horrible things that Donald Trump has said about him instead of somebody else like Nikki Haley, obviously the other alternative. Uh, it just really demonstrates, uh, you know, the Donald Trump's grip on, on the Republican Party these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump called Governor DeSantis Governor DeSanctimonious so many times I can't even count. Cornell. Yeah, look, I'm going to lean in on, on what these two brilliant people have already said. I, the addition I would add to this is, is there, there is clearly no alternative Trump lane right now in the, in the Republican Party. Uh, DeSantis was trying to be Trump light, and I think his part of his strategy was if Trump falters, look, I'm I'm the caretaker of the grievance politics of of cultural and racial aversion. You know, he staked his 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 strategic claim in wokeism, um, but but Trump never but Trump never faltered. I think what the reporting on this is most interesting is, and I've seen this in in, this, in the second choice. Right, there's no there's no alternative lane to Trump because even him, most of his his voters now will pro- probably move to Donald Trump. So what does Nikki Haley do? What is Nikki Haley's lane? I think she is probably in it for maybe one, maybe two more races, and then it's and then it's over because there is no anti-Trump lane currently in the Republican Party. You think she hangs on through South Carolina? I think she has to make it to South Carolina. I think she has to make it to South Carolina. I think it'd be really embarrassing if she doesn't make it at least to her home state, although her home state senator has now endorsed Donald Trump. So even there, it's going to be an uphill battle for her. And, and Brendan, let me come back to you on this because so you've got Um, Senator Tim Scott endorses Donald Trump. You have Florida Governor Ron DeSantis losing horribly. Well, he came in second. He came in second in Iowa. But 
I'm going to ask you the question I asked Chairman Steele uh, in the four o'clock hour. Why didn't Governor DeSantis, why do you think he didn't drop out immediately after Iowa? And why do you think he is dropping out now? Is it to completely kill the candidacy of Nikki Haley by, by I think, Cornell, just all his voters are going to go, all DeSantis voters are going to go to Donald Trump? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. I imagine coming to a conclusion like this is difficult and you probably have to talk it over for a while but before you um, before you land there. So I don't know if, if it was necessarily to take out Nikki Haley. Um, I think that was probably going to happen either way. Um, I mean, look, we Cornell just said something really important. Ron DeSantis, just like Nikki Haley, both of these candidates and really all the others ran this race so they could be there in case Donald Trump fell. But none of them were willing to actually be the ones to take him out directly themselves. And ultimately, that's what it came down to. Ron DeSantis got pummeled for months and months and months by Donald Trump and never did anything. Now Nikki Haley is on the receiving end of a bunch of Donald Trump attacks. All of these people who are now endorsing him, whether it's Tim Scott or Ron DeSantis, realize that the future of the party is still in the Trump direction. There's no use in, in endorsing Nikki Haley, who's very unlikely to win. And if you want to have any future, if Ron DeSantis wants to salvage something out of this, I think he probably wants to run for president again someday. He's going to have to get right with a lot of Trump voters. So I imagine that's what he's doing and, and what Tim Scott and people for him were doing. All right. We've got so much more to talk about. So don't go any uh, don't, don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to talk about the breaking news of, Don, of uh, Ron DeSantis getting out of the presidential race and endorsing Donald Trump, going from critic to endorser. And later, my conversation with Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, her reaction to the shakeup in the presidential race and the Democrats push to make reproductive rights a key 2024 issue. Hey everyone, it's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. You can be the most worthless Republican in America, but if you kiss the ring, he'll say you're wonderful. You can be the strongest, most dynamic, uh, successful Republican and conservative in America, but if you don't kiss that ring, then he'll try to trash you. You know what? You deserve a nominee that's going to put you first, not himself we are back with my all-star panel, Brendan Buck, Adrian Elrod, Cornell Belcher. That was Governor DeSantis exactly one week ago talking about you got to kiss his ring and all that. And what did he do today? He kissed that ring. Um, Cornell, so now all eyes are on Nikki Haley. Um, she's been polling slightly ahead of Trump with independent voters in New Hampshire. You see there um, uh, on the screen. Is that right? Well, anyway, what would it's closer? Is, she's closer. She's yeah, she's closer. She hasn't overtaken him, but she's closer uh, with with uh, with uh, independent voters. What would it take for her to widen the gap and win the state? It, it, it's tough because look, what she's counting on. And I think this is actually Desantis said this. 
she's counting on non-Republicans to help her get a Republican nomination. And I think that, that is a very difficult thing to do, because in the end, you, you've got to be able to win the, the base and heart of the Republican Party. Look, if, if there is, in New Hampshire, I, I love the state of New Hampshire, and independents plays play such a huge role, both in the primaries as well as the general election. She needs uh, independents to to over-index, right? She needs a larger share of that electorate in New Hampshire to be independent. She needs independence to sort of swamp Republicans mm-hmm. in that in that primary for her to have a chance. And even then, it's only gets it only gets closer. So it, it, it's really tough for her to win into for her to win a Republican nomination without winning Republican voters. And and Adrian, um, is it even possible for for Governor Haley? to pull that many independents out, and maybe even some Democrats, because if they switch their party registration uh, to independent or, you know, nonpartisan, whatever the term of art is, by October, they could vote uh, on Tuesday night. Is there any possible way that what Cornell says she needs to have happen will happen? I mean, Jonathan, it would have to be truly a Hail Mary, where, to your point, I mean, Democrats can switch over and vote in this Republican primary, uh, especially given the fact that, um, you know, the the Democratic primary is not really a thing this year in New Hampshire. So that could happen, but it would have to take so much organizing and so much effort for Nikki Haley to overcome Trump's lead, especially now that he's got the momentum, obviously, coming out of Iowa, the momentum with, you know, Ron DeSantis and, and Tim Scott, and, you know, Haley's home state senator who just endorsed him. He's got a lot of momentum right now going into New Hampshire. So even with all the independents in that state, who, as Cornell said, you know, tend to be, uh, you know, at least Haley's been been good with attracting more independents, uh, it's still going to be a very, very tough climb. And I just want to say one thing about South Carolina. I'm not on Nikki Haley's campaign. I'm obviously not advising her by any stretch. But if I were her, I think long and hard about whether or not I want to be on the ballot in South Carolina um, if, if I lose New Hampshire. That's her home state. And to actually lose a primary in your home state, uh, that, that's a really tough act to swallow, especially if you want to have a future uh, you know, role running for president. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think we may look be looking at a general election official nominee after uh, Tuesday night. Hey, Brendan, let's keep on this point that Adrian is bringing up, uh, because after Tuesday, there is a month between the New Hampshire primary and the South Carolina primary. A month is a long time in politics, but is a month enough time for uh, Nikki Haley to climb out of the uh, climb out of the hole that she's in, that she's in now and that might be even deeper come Tuesday night? So if Nikki Haley somehow wins New Hampshire and wins it in, in a you know some type of imp- very impressive way, you would think she would have some shot at sticking around. Short of that, I think the campaign is is effectively over. Her problem here is the the you cannot win a Republican primary on the backs of of uh, moderate voters. You need conservatives, and South Carolina is Trump country, and. For all of the, you know, the second and third place conversation we're having, there does not feel like a whole lot of momentum supporting Nikki Haley. Now, there was momentum to get from maybe 8% in the polls to 12%, but that's not a compelling rise if you're a, let's say, a donor who's trying to decide whether they want to throw a million dollars into this race. No one's got a real credible case for how Haley is able to get from down 40 points in South Carolina to winning. Money is going to follow momentum. And while you may you know, have some, some positive outcomes 
for her relative to where she was months ago, it's not enough for anybody to look at here and say, okay, I think this is a, a possible outcome. So unless she has some incredible win in New Hampshire, and unless Donald Trump has something happened to him in, in those few weeks, that even feels very unlikely. And I, I agree with Adrian. I, I wouldn't want to be on that ballot and lose my home state. Um, Cornell, I got to get you on one thing before before we go. Um, the, the statement from the Biden Harris campaign, which you know the president and the vice president are. There's a write-in campaign uh, in New Hampshire to get them on the ballot, and here's <laughs> and, and, and to to get votes. Uh, and here's what the campaign put out. Um, which is kind of cold-blooded. Um, the Ron DeSantis ending his presidential campaign simply reinforces that this is a two-person race, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. There is no path for Nikki Haley to overtake Trump. And even if she could, her record of supporting a national abortion ban and pledging to pardon Trump makes clear that she's just as bad as him. We urge Granite Staters to join us Tuesday in writing in Joe Biden, the one candidate who's been beaten Trump before and will beat him again. Th- <laughs> <laughs> that's what people are talking about that they want from from the Biden-Harris campaign. No? Yeah, well, that's that's sort of a, a yes, that's that's tough, right? And it is it's that is that is the sort of toughness and bravado and kick butt that I think a lot of us have been waiting for and and wait and, and trying to hear. That is a really interesting what they're trying to do in New Hampshire. Yes. Yes. And and we can't even talk about in full what that interesting thing is because we got to go. Uh, Cornell Belcher, Brendan Buck, Adrian Elrod, thank you all very much, as always, for coming to The Sunday Show. And we will have much more on this breaking news in the 2024 presidential race ahead on The Sunday Show, including asking a former presidential candidate for her take on the news. Senator Amy Klobuchar joins me to discuss that and what's at stake as we approach the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We're following the breaking news tonight from New Hampshire. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida dropped out of the Republican presidential race. And now it's down to former President Donald Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. On the Democratic side, this week, the Biden campaign is launching a national abortion rights tour to mark the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Tomorrow, Vice President Harris travels to Wisconsin, where lawmakers have introduced a 14-week abortion ban. Then, on Tuesday, the Biden-Harris ticket will be in Virginia to hold their first joint re-election rally. Reproductive rights are expected to be a key issue in the presidential race, and abortion advocates just headlined the fourth annual Women's March in Washington, D.C. Moments ago, I spoke to Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota about putting abortion on the ballot and got her reaction to news of the shakeup in the Republican presidential race today, Ron DeSantis dropped out. Senator Klobuchar, welcome back to The Sunday Show. Well, thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be back on with you. So before we get to the big news we want to talk about, which is uh, the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, just as someone who's run for president, I'd love your reaction to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropping out of the Republican race for, for the presidential nomination. Well, I guess in some way, for those of us who've been watching this for the past year and seen the uh, control Donald Trump has on his own party, I think the thing that surprises me is it was just 56,000 people who voted for Trump in the caucuses in Iowa, but now this is starting to seem inevitable. And um, 
Donald Trump, I think we all know what this means, the chaos, um, whether it comes to uh, abortion rights, whether it comes to democracy. Um, but the thing that I think a lot of Republicans were looking for was an alternative. That's why DeSantis ran. That's why he had supporters. Um, and now we're just back where we started with the same guy. Right. So, you, as you well know, Governor DeSantis signed into law a strict six-week abortion ban in his state, in Florida. Talk about that in the context of the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade and how such a restriction could shape President Biden's messaging on abortion in the, in the coming campaign. Well, I think one of the, this is one of the issues, right? Not exactly differentiating himself on an issue that's so key to people across this country. When you look at the numbers, 70, 80 percent of the people of this country, and that includes uh, those numbers of looking at Republicans, they support a woman's right to make her own decision about her health care instead of politicians. Um, and you see Donald Trump doubling down on this, Republicans doubling down on this issue, going way back when he talked about how women could be punished for making such a decision in 2016 um, to now, when he has um, continued to focus on his position. And I believe that the people of this country want something different, and that includes moderate Republicans and independents. And I think we know why. Um, it is the 51-year anniversary of a decision that guaranteed that women would have control over their own destiny. And now here we are, 51 years later, and a number of women in so many states have no control over their destiny when it comes to their health care. It's a shocking development, and it has had disastrous consequences. Um, we have just—I uh, just heard the story of how a woman from North Carolina had to go to D.C. Uh, to get an abortion and stayed in a homeless shelter. Even with states that have abortion rights in place, these Supreme Court decisions on mifepristone, um, which would ban the abortion drug, or a national abortion ban, would have severe effects on every woman in this country. Mm -hmm. Well, on the national abortion ban, Nikki Haley says Democrats are lying about the the threat of a national abortion ban. Listen. 60 senators would never approve a ban on abortion. That's a fact. That's a fact. So why put out something that's implying something's going to happen to the American people that is a lie? That's never going to happen. Senator, your reaction to those comments today? You know, people can make these predictions, but I don't think a lot of those same people were saying Donald Trump was never going to be elected, and he was, or that there'd never be an insurrection, and there was. Um, and so I think what you want to do is put in a president like Joe Biden, who's going to guarantee that we won't have a national abortion ban. I think you want to put in a president that would sign Roe v. Wade into law, and you want to put Democrats into office in both the House and the Senate that will guarantee that that can happen. So I look at it in totally the different way. I look at how can we move forward in the best possible way, and that is by having Joe Biden as president. And one more question for you, Senator. Activists are trying to pass abortion rights amendments in nine more states, including uh, Florida, Missouri and Nebraska. Why do you think these ballot measures have become such a powerful tool for protecting access? 
Because of the results, because people turn out. It started in the prairies in Kansas. Uh, it then goes to Ohio, where a 10-point margin, people stand up for women's right to make their own decision about their health care. Wisconsin Supreme Court race by 10 points. These things are happening because we are with the people. And we are with where they want to go and where they want to go forward. And that also includes things like being willing to take on the pharmaceutical companies and getting people access to the Internet and actually building the infrastructure they need. And I think that last election, not just the midterm, but this last election in Kentucky, in the governor's race, Virginia legislature, mm -hmm. that's my proof point when I hear people talk about this election. So um, I just think this is going to be a galvanizing issue. But I do want people to know that if you're in those states, um, like I am, where they do protect the right to a woman's right to make her own decision about their health care, this isn't all clear. It is murky if you put Republicans in office. And in fact, it's going to go the opposite way, mm. because these are people that race to the state houses to put in abortion bans. These are people who basically have been putting in the judges that have been making the Dobbs decision and the like. So people have to see it's a clear choice no matter what state you're in. Senator Amy Klobuchar from the great state of Minnesota, thank you very much for coming back to the Sunday thank show. Thank you, Jonathan. Coming up, candidate Trump has one less competitor to worry about tonight, but defendant Trump still has a lot going on. Trump is expected to return to court tomorrow as the E. Jean Carroll defamation case resumes. And this time, he says he wants to testify. Sure, Jan. Stay right here. You're watching The Sunday Show on MSNBC. The race for 2024 is down to two candidates, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ended his campaign this afternoon with an online video just two days before the New Hampshire primary. And on the eve of the primary, Trump will be back in a New York courtroom as the E. Jean Carroll defamation case resumes on Monday. The former president says he plans to testify in his own defense, but that could be risky. On Wednesday, Trump was nearly ejected from the courtroom by Judge Kaplan during Carroll's testimony when he could be heard making remarks to his lawyers, including calling the trial, quote, a witch hunt. When threatened with ejection from the courtroom, Trump shot back, quote, I would love it, to which Judge Kaplan said, I know you would. You just can't control yourself in these circumstances, apparently. Joining me now, Neil Katyal, former acting solicitor general of the United States, Saunders professor of law at Georgetown University, an MSNBC legal analyst and host of the podcast Courtside. Neil, thank you very much, as always, for coming to the Sunday show. So first, before we get to the E. Jean Carroll case, I must ask you um, about presidential immunity, since he's been focused on that issue on the campaign trail. He will likely amplify that now that it is a two-person race. When can we expect the appeals court to issue its ruling on that? So our nation's second highest court, the D.C. Circuit, heard oral argument on this last week. I expect a decision very soon, perhaps even tomorrow. I think it's fair to say Trump's attorney got blown out of the water, Jonathan. I mean, did not have a decent argument. And every day that passes and Donald Trump talks about his absolute immunity and the ability to use SEAL Team 6 to go and kill an opponent candidate or something just makes it even more insane. He's not talking 
talking about the United States Constitution for sure. Maybe he's talking about the Russian Constitution or something. But I expect the D.C. Circuit to rule squarely against him soon. And I suspect the U.S. Supreme Court may not even take up this case. His arguments are so frivolous. But then the, real quickly, but then the next step, once the, the, the Court of Appeals issues its ruling, whichever way it goes, someone's going to, if it goes the way you say, Trump will appeal to the full appeals court, correct? Uh, he may not step? even appeal to the full appeals court. He may just go straight and try and appeal to the Supreme Court. He's going to do whatever he can, Jonathan, to try and delay things as much as possible. But I do think the claims are so weak. I don't think this is actually going to delay his trial. Um, I think that we're looking at still a trial before Judge Chutkin in short order. OK, um, the E. Jean Carroll case, uh, Donald Trump says he wants to testify in his defense tomorrow. Will he and could he actually be removed from the courtroom by the judge if we see a repeat of what he did last Wednesday? Yeah, I think the betting money is that he's not going to testify. Some people say it's because defendant Trump is a chicken. Um, and, you know, that may be true. Um, but regardless, I mean, he's certainly someone who has a difficult relationship with the truth. And any good lawyer wouldn't be letting him testify tomorrow. Um, you know, asterisk about his current legal team in that case and their strategies. But, you know, I, I suspect that the lawyers are saying don't. And there's another reason for it, which is Gene Carroll's lawyers filed a brief uh, this just over the weekend about Trump's continuing statements about Gene Carroll out of court and how they've exacerbated the amount of damages that he's ultimately going to owe her. Every time he opens his mouth, he makes the case worse for himself. And so I think the lawyers are going to say that as well to him. So taking all that together, I suspect he won't. Um, the reason why he might, as you point out, is that he is trying to fish for getting ejected from the courtroom. He was trying that last week. He really wants to play the victim card and make it look like he and not Gene Carroll is the victim in this. Um, and so that's the one reason why we might see him tomorrow open his mouth. Mm -hmm. Can we just real quickly talk about his lawyer, Alina Haba? She also butted heads with, with Judge Kaplan. I'm just trying to understand the impact that these outbursts, both from the lawyer and the client, um, the impact they have on the judge's decision about whether to remove Trump from the court. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on her competence or anything like that. But I do think one of the things that happened with her and Trump last week was that Trump was loudly talking to her um, in a way so that the jury would hear it while other people were testifying. And that's kind of an old high school debater's trick, which is like talk loudly so that the judge will hear it when your opponent's talking and maybe you can influence their mind. It doesn't work even in high school and it's certainly not <laughs> going to work before this judge, Judge Kaplan, who's one of the nation's most respected judges, a no-nonsense, non-political judge. Um, and so I don't expect it to go anywhere, but, you know, Donald Trump always tries. Neil Katyal, as always, I appreciate you coming to the Sunday show, especially on this breaking news Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. And up next, more on that breaking news. Ron DeSantis' decision to end his presidential campaign just two days before the New Hampshire primary will take a closer look at who the Florida governor's supporters could turn to now and what's next for Nikki Haley. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. 
That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. That was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announcing earlier today that he was suspending his presidential campaign just two days before the New Hampshire primary. He also endorsed Donald Trump, who welcomed the support and called for the GOP to rally around his campaign. For more on this breaking news story, joining me now is James Pindle, political reporter at the Boston Globe and an MSNBC contributor. James, great to see you again uh, this, uh, this evening. So from DeSantis' glitchy launch on Twitter to failing to connect with voters on the trail, what do you think ultimately went wrong for Governor DeSantis? You know, Jonathan, that's a great question. I mean, so much of his campaign was based on what he his theory of the campaign would be I am going to be the champion of woke. I mean, look, you want to step back for a second. What he's really trying to do is recreate, and I know this is going to be a very odd statement, the Barack Obama campaign of 2008. In that case, Hillary Clinton was the front runner in every early primary state, the dominant front runner nationwide. And what he was trying to do is to figure out what Barack Obama did. Barack Obama figured out there was a cleave. There was an area where, in among the anti-war wing, particularly in Iowa, he was going to knock off and, and, and end her inevitability, and in this case, Donald Trump's inevitability in Iowa. Not obviously with the Iraq war, but in 2024, mm-hmm. he was going to do it by being the king of the culture wars. You saw that with Disney. You saw that with Don't Say Gay Bill. You saw that with the book bans. But the, what he did not figure out was that Donald Trump is the culture war. And, and one thing that really made that very apparent, I mean, look, we had a window here from the midterm elections that were, did not go the way that Republicans wanted, largely blamed on Donald Trump. You saw that relentlessly from Fox News, blaming Donald Trump for the, 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 the lack of a big red wave in 2022, to the first time Donald Trump was charged with a crime, Alvin Bragg. That was, the, that was the window for Ron DeSantis. Heck, he was actually winning in New Hampshire in a University of New Hampshire poll over Donald Trump. But those trials, the first time he was charged, made Donald Trump the culture war and Republicans rallied to his cause. And, Don, and Ron DeSantis really didn't have much of a point after that. And he didn't really take good advice. And he tried to ram through the campaign that he thought he could do without that kind of advice. And obviously $150 million tonight down the drain. Yeah. Uh, and to bring up a, a uh, I want to quote a, a great political reporter who told me two hours ago to that point about how much money was spent. People don't get out because they lose. They get out because they're broke. That was said by one James <laughs> Pindle of the Boston Globe. So, James, let, let's talk about uh, Governor Haley here. Even if she finishes better than expected uh, in the primary on Tuesday, she'll likely lose in South Carolina, her home state. But 12 12 of the 16 states going um, in in Super Tuesday allow independents to to participate. And that's important because that's what she's looking for uh, in New Hampshire on on Tuesday. Um, Is there any chance Nikki Haley can hang on that long if Tuesday goes the way it looks like it's going to go? 
I'm not sure she can handle the onslaught that's about to come onto her if she continues this campaign after New Hampshire. Already it's sort of brutal if you look at the New Hampshire airwaves right now. It's nonstop. In fact, right before we met, I mean, right before I came back on set, it was nonstop either pro-Nikki Haley or from Donald Trump anti-Nikki Haley. And it's about to get even worse. Look, here's the reality. We can go through the scenarios. Number one, the next state actually is Nevada. She's not even on the ballot in Nevada. Oh. If we get to South Carolina, yeah, she's not even on the ballot. It's kind of a rigged system. We can get into that later. But then, like, <laughs> then there's South Carolina, and you're right. If you can't even win your home state, again, if, if the argument is how can you continue this race, how is she going to convince a single donor to give her any money after she gets crushed in what should be the easiest territory for her overall? And then if we get to Super Tuesday, to your point, then we do have all these states that do allow independent voters. Again, if she loses consistently in these 16 states, how are you going to get to a path to the 1,250 delegates you need in the Republican convention? If he's constantly winning 60-40 or 70-30 at this rate, how is that going to happen? Ron DeSantis earlier today, or even last night, figured out there was simply no path to the nomination. And at this point, Nikki Haley is going to have to figure out, unless there's a big win on Tuesday, that there may not be a path for her as well. James Pindle, the Boston Globe, thank you very much for coming to the Sunday show. Thank you. And that'll do it for me. Thank you for watching. I'll be back next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on MSNBC. Remember to follow us on X, Instagram, TikTok, and threads using the handle at Weekend Capehart.